want to welcome each one into our assembly today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your participation. Those that are visiting, we're extremely glad to have you. would encourage you to come and be here at each opportunity. There's nothing that replaces our assemblies as God has commanded us together on the first day of the week to engage in these worship activities. We encourage one another, we build one another up, and moreover, we praise our Creator and our Savior. If you're connected by Zoom this morning, we want to welcome you as well. Before we get into the message of the morning, I want to remind each one of you that the benefit that we will derive from worship is directly proportionate to what we put into it. Paul, in his opening statement, said that if we apply ourselves as we worship, then we'll be better equipped going forward to focus on Christ and live a successful Christian life. If we're focused and engaged, we will leave here better equipped. If we're here just as a matter of habit, our mind is elsewhere, then we will leave here with very little benefit. So I want to challenge each one this morning to focus your attention and devotion into this service. God requires no less of us. Before we get into the lesson this morning, I want to give a brief evangelistic report for a couple of foreign fields of, of work. Brother James Ludicky and I just returned from Belize this past Monday. We traveled there and had a safe and productive trip. There's things like curfews and masks and negative COVID tests and other complications for traveling and then for circulating within the country, but overall we had a smooth trip. We're involved with four different congregations in the country of Belize. The first one is Orange Walk, which is in the northern part of Belize. We were there the first weekend and did a gospel meeting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We spent our days visiting with the church family, and we were very pleased to see the spiritual as well as numerical growth that's taking place in this five-year-old congregation. Brother Ramiro Guimes is the evangelist that's working with that congregation. He's been successful in training men to step forward and provide leadership and so overall, uh, the congregation is doing well there. The second congregation is in the middle of Belize at a, a town called Angriga. We spent our midweek through the following week there. We had a Thursday through Sunday gospel meeting and again visited a lot of families. There's a rural congregation nearby called Silkgrass. We were able to have a service there on Tuesday night and then on Sunday later in the day. There were more, was more discouragement probably in these two congregations, but again, we were able to circulate within the families and encourage and teach, and we feel like they're better equipped going forward. The fourth congregation is in the southern part of Belize at a place called Krikahute. I might back up and say that William Mahler is the evangelist that's working in Dangriga, and Silkgrass, the evangelist that works at Krikihute is Nicasio Cho. Uh, there were 32 in attendance in this service in the southern area on Sunday morning. 
All of these congregations ranging between 20 and 30 people. Two of these congregations less than five years old. And again, we feel good about the work of the church going on in the country of Belize. This is Brother uh, William Mahler on, the, on your right. And then Nicasio is just to my left. And then Romero Guimes is on, on your far left. These are the men that are are carrying the work there, and we were able to spend parts of two whole days in uh, study with these men and encouraging them, and they send their greetings to, to all of you. We finished that trip on a strong note. Uh, Brother Dan and Dan Gregus, 70-year-old gentleman, taught the gospel to him, and he was baptized on the last Sunday before we came home. We're thankful for all of your prayers and help for this work in Belize. Brother James Ludicky is the one that takes the lead on this work, and uh, he wanted me also to express his thanks to all of you for your prayers and cooperation in that work. Wanted to bring you up to date on India as well. We would have typically had some Indians here in 2020 in August. Because of the pandemic, we were unable to do that. We would have typically traveled to India in February of this year. Again, their borders are closed. They're not letting visitors come in. They've even had a greater spike since February a couple of months ago. And it's been a very devastating time for them because of COVID-19, especially countrywide. I believe that we've been blessed in the church in India. We've only know of one death that's been directly connected to COVID. We've had several in the hospital, several with severe symptoms, but by far the majority of the people's had very light symptoms. In any case, we visit with those brethren in Indi India on a weekly basis. We know that things are still moving forward there with the work of the church. We have two elements in India that are very strong that makes the opportunities there continue to be great as far as scope, as far as uh, the uh, opportunities on numbers. There's no greater place than India as far as the people that are willing to hear the gospel. We have a, a 1.36 billion people in India. Majority of them are Hindu, and a lot of them, because of the caste system, are discouraged, and they don't have hope really in their life. And so they are very receptive to the gospel and very hungry for it. You know, David said in Psalm 63, 1, My soul thirsts for you. This is how we get close to God. And when we, from the inside, really want to be close to God and we have a thirst for Him. And we see that to be the case. Their population density, some 12 to 1 over what we're used to here. And people large groups ready to listen to the gospel. The second element that we have in place are the gospel workers, those that are trained in preaching His Word, those that understand the language, they understand the culture, and they are very well equipped to deliver the gospel to this audience that's very ready to receive it. So when you put these two things together, you see a great response to the gospel being preached in India. And even with the difficulties that we talked about, 
There's still a lot of, of gospel work going on in this country. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Can't be overstated how important it is that we have preachers that's willing to carry this word forward here in our community, in our region, in our nation, in our world. We are so thankful for men that are willing to carry the gospel forward. Our work in India is based on a 24,000 monthly budget. 90% of that goes to evangelistic support, 10% benevolence. 100% of the USA donations are sent to India. We have about 50 churches and 90 individuals that donate money. That comes to me, and then I'm responsible for sending that to India, keeping track of it. In India, we have a team that's able to receive those things, distribute that support. We have 830 congregations over 100,000 members and about 340 evangelists on our team that's preaching the gospel in India. Their average monthly support is $65 per month. The congregation here supports both Belize and India with a monthly donation. We have other individuals that are active to help with donations. We have many that are donating to the general fund of India to promote the gospel. We have others that help with widows or orphans. We have one-time earmarked donations from time to time for vehicles, for church buildings, for other needs. And we have so good participation by all of you in supporting this work. And I want you to know that what you do to help with this work is making a huge difference in the country of India and I would just encourage you to continue what you're doing. If you're not involved in some of these works and you'd like to have more detail, well, please allow us to visit with you about that. Our people in India continually send their gratitude to all of those that help with this work through prayer, through encouragement, through donations, and in, in every effort to forward that work in the country of India. Thanks again for, for everything you do for the kingdom of God everywhere. All of us doing what we can, putting that together, is what accomplishes the goal of God in our world today. This morning, as we turn to our subject under consideration, I'd like for us to start in 1 Peter 2. I'd like to read verses 24 and 25 who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We'll be using the New King James Version this morning that will coincide with your pew Bibles. Here we have a statement about our shepherd and overseer how that we are sheep but we have one that leads us sheep are lost without a shepherd and certainly that is the case with our shepherd Jesus Christ this morning we want to think about how Christ leads us in the prayer that we joined in with this morning we heard about a path and how we're led down a path and in this image, we see the path laid out. We see a shepherd guiding the sheep. 
we can still wander off the path. There's openings to where we can get off of Christ's path. But we know the closer we stay to the center of God's will, the more we follow Him, the greater blessings we will receive in this life. This morning, the title of our lesson is Christ's Message for the Church Today. So I want us to think about a shepherd and how he communicates with his sheep. A shepherd has to guide the sheep, and that involves some type of communication. God has always communicated with His people. We take the patriarchal age, we know that God spoke to the male heads of each family and directed His people in that way. During the Mosaical age, He came through Moses and the prophets, and He communicated with His people in that way. Today, Christ is the one that communicates with His sheep. We have to understand how He communicates so that we can be listening and we can follow the shepherd. If we can't have Christ's message, then there's no way that we can stay on this path that He has laid out before us. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and the early writers, today we have a very clear message from Christ. There's a lot of confusion about how Christ speaks to us today. On the right-hand illustration, we see that Christ came down in His personal ministry. He delivered His message to the apostles. The apostles were assisted after Christ went back into heaven to continue to write that message down. And His last and final revelation is found in the New Testament. If we want to hear Christ's message, there is only one place that we can go to find His message. On the other side of the screen, we have a misunderstanding. Those people today that think the Holy Spirit is coming directly into their mind and guiding them and giving them the message of Christ. That is a misunderstanding of the teachings of the Word of God. Those promises for the Holy Spirit to come and deliver all truth, and as we read John 15, John 16, those were promises to the apostles, not to us. Today, Christ speaks to us through the New Testament. That's His mode. That's His message for us today. So if we want to hear God's message, Christ's message, then we have to open up the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 58, we're going to look at the message that's delivered in this one verse as our theme this morning. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is Christ speaking through His apostles. The Apostle Paul specifically who wrote this down in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I would submit to you today that this is Christ's message for the church. It's a very encouraging message that we need to give ear to as the people of God. What does the word therefore mean in this passage? 
The word therefore points back to what has just been stated. And it connects us to the things that Paul said in the passage right in front of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we call the resurrection chapter. And when we come to verse 51 we find this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We see how that Christ is addressing the resurrection that is coming for each and every one of us one day. He continues in verse 54, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Mike spoke about what Christ has already done for us. How He won the victory over the grave, over Satan. The battle has been won. And He blazed a trail for us, this path that we're talking about. Paul uses the word victory only three times in all of his writing. And they're right here in these three verses. He's talking about those who follow God winning an eternal victory. And he's telling these people at Corinth and us as well is we need to be preparing so that when that resurrection happens, we indeed can win that victory. This morning, that is Christ's message for the church today. Are we sure this message is given to the church Yes, we are because of this phrase, my beloved brethren. A phrase that re refers to the people of God. Was Paul writing only to those at Corinth when he penned this? Certainly not. We can go back to the first verse of Corinthians and we can see that he addresses his letter to those that were at Corinth. But what does he also say? He says, this is written to all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's us today. Certainly it had a place when it was written, but I would submit that today it has just as much power for us as the people of God as it did back in the first century. We need to clearly hear this message that is given to the people of God. We come to the first action word in this passage. And here Christ says, through Paul, be steadfast. What does it mean to be steadfast? I believe this is a word that means to be firm, strong, and completely devoted to that path that we saw in that earlier image. We have to be steadfast in every way that God has called us to walk within His path. The word steadfast literally means seated. In other words, to just sit down and be solid and firm, unshaken and resolute. 
This directs us as His people to be devoted to the task at hand. I believe a good synonym for steadfast would be the word consistent. That's what Christ wants from us today. We live in an unstable world. Things are in constant motion. And yet we serve a God who is steadfast. In Galatians 5 verse 1, the admonition given is stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. As the people of God, we've been freed from the entanglements of these physical things that we go through in life because we have a spiritual perspective. And we can come above those things, and no matter what our environment, we can continue to be focused on Christ. And be steadfast. And that's the admonition that we're given, not just in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, but in many passages where we read Christ's message to His people. Ye therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest ye fall from your own steadfastness. You know, Paul made the statement that we need to take heed because when we think we stand, that's the most likely time that we're going to fall. That's why we need this message from Christ. Because we are susceptible for Satan to come in and to undermine our steadfastness, our consistency. And so we need to listen to this message, we need to understand it clearly, and we need to internalize it in our lives today. The second word that's used in this passage is the word immovable. So, steadfast is a positive command that says to be seated, to be firm, to be strong. This word unmovable is a negative command. And what he's saying is do not move from the God's path. So we see some overlap here, but we see that Paul is trying to emphasize his message. Christ is trying to emphasize his message for us as the people of God today. This literally means to be rendered immobile. could be translated locked or anchored. Paul is talking about what we have on the inside, our soul. And he wants us to be unmovable. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is a nautical image, to be tossed to and fro, to be on a small boat in a big storm on the water, and how those waves toss from one side to the other side. So the opposite of that is to be anchored. That's what the word unmovable means, to be anchored in the Word of God, not where people, whatever they say or do, move us from one place to another. That's where we get pushed off or pulled off of this path that we must stay on as the people of God. James 1.8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's the opposite of being steadfast and unmovable is to be double-minded. Not really sure, not really committed, not totally in ownership of following God, but only in halfway. And when we're that way, we're going to be tossed to and fro. There's going to be trouble in our life. We can't have the peace 
that God offers when we live this kind of life. Malachi 3 verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. These are passages of stability that we can rest, that we can put our feet on a firm foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What was Paul's attitude about this in his own life? He's the writer of this message from Christ for us today. How did he lead his life? Look at Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was headed to Rome. He had a lot of people pleading with him not to go. He had people concerned with his physical well-being. And they were compassionate, and they, they should have had those attitudes toward Paul. But do you know what he responded? He thanked them for their concern, but he said, I'm not, These things don't move me. What moves me is my opportunity and ability to carry the gospel to those who need to hear it. What is the next phrase in this verse? Always abounding. This is an adverb, always, followed by an adjective, abounding. We could translate it, always looking to go further, higher, and greater. Is it good enough to work, or is it good enough to just do the bare minimum? Is it to, good enough to just do that every once in a while? That's not Christ's message for us. He says we always... How often is always? Always abounding. Is there anything more than abounding? That's superseding previous activity continually. This is our message as the church today. Time is short and we're to spend our time in service to the Lord. We're to give all that we have, abounding in our labor for the Lord. The success is up to the Lord, but the labor is up to us. You know, we need to go above and beyond. We don't need Christians that say, well, no one else is doing it, so I guess I'll do what I can. We don't need Christians who volunteer for a job and they go halfway and they quit. We need people that are committed to doing whatever they're able to do and fulfilling their roles within the kingdom of Christ. Folks, Jesus is coming back. What does the therefore mean? Jesus is coming back. There's a great resurrection coming. Are we going to have our work complete when Christ comes again? Are we going to be found always abounding in that work? Will Christ find us steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding when He comes back? What are we to be abounding in? Work and labor. Work has a bad connotation with religion. They say, you know, it's all the grace of God and it's our faith and work is not involved in what we do for God at all. 
And I will tell you that boastful works of men have nothing to do with our salvation. And that's what Paul's referring to in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. But verse 10, he says, We were created unto good works. There's work to be done in the kingdom of God. It's not of our own doing. It's not work to please ourselves or to be seen of others. But this is the labor and the work that Christ tells us that we need to be busy with. This is Christ's message to us. If you look at the Greek words on labor, it especially means toiling and working with all our strength. It means to go to the point of pain and being active within the kingdom of Christ. Someone might ask, how can we be seated and rendered immobile and yet always abounding and moving in the work? Is there some kind of contradiction here? In this message from Christ, stay unmovable, but at the same time be moving. There's no contradiction here. The words steadfast and immovable refer to how we should never ever leave the will of God. But at the same time we're staying right in the center of God's will, we have to be walking. We have to be working. We have to be following the example that Christ left. The first half of this passage talks about inner conviction. The second half of the passage talks about the outward visible action that we take as servants of Jesus Christ. We should always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And as we have just noticed, the Apostle Paul gives us example after example after example in the way that he led his life to serve his Savior. The next phrase, knowing, or the next word, knowing. I love this word. It's not wishing. It's not hoping. It's knowing. That's the confidence and the kind of faith that we can have as the church. As Christ speaks to us, He says we can know when we give ourselves to His cause, when we're always abounding in the work, we can know that this work is going to be valuable. Paul again made this statement, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. God's promise is always faithful. Every morning He's faithful to give us a new day. Every promise that He has given comes true. His promises to not tempt us above what we're able, to give us a way of escape. These promises are true, and we can know if we follow this message of being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, that we can know that we're right with God, and that God is going to bless us that He's going to help us through the challenges and storms of our life, and one day we will be able to spend eternity with Him. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. What does it mean to be vain? How many times have you started some kind of project and you got part of the way there, 
and it just didn't work out. It flopped. How many times have we planted a crop and then the hail comes along and wipes it all out? Think of things that you've done and at the end of your toil, there was nothing to show for it. Well, that's what vain means. We can back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at part of what Paul was saying just earlier than this. He said, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That's the same word as vain. It's, it's worthless. If Christ has not resurrected, if He's not coming back again, and we're not going to be resurrected, then what we're doing here today is vain. But that was Paul's whole point in writing this whole chapter, is to prove that Christ did rise from the dead. We sang about it in our song this morning, in, in several of our songs. The first song we sang, the last verse, we talked about what would happen when the trump sounds and when we all rise to meet Christ. That's our faith. Because we know that Christ was resurrected, we can know that we also will be resurrected. We can know also that whatever we do, as we abound in the work of the Lord, will not be empty. It will not be vain. Sometimes we don't see the fruit that we might expect or that we want to see happen. That doesn't mean that our work in the Lord is in vain. God blesses our work when we yield to Him and when we do our very best. Not in vain in the Lord. We're going to finish up this morning talking about in the Lord. There's a caveat to this work not being in vain. If we're doing it on our own, if we're doing boastful man, men's works, if we're following our own agendas, if we've set our own course spiritually and we're following it, we're not in the Lord or of the Lord. And when we're not in the Lord or of the Lord, our work will be in vain. And that's one of the saddest things that we see, that people who emotionally and in thought are committed to God, and yet they are not following the path that He's put in front of them. If we want our work to not be in vain, then we have to make sure that we are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's those sad souls that reach the end and standing before Christ as our final judge. Christ said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The very next verse said, Well, have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? And then in verse 23, Christ said, I never know you. Depart from me, ye that practice lawlessness. When we're not working in the Lord, then our work will be empty. And not only empty, Christ says it's lawless. The King James Version says it's iniquity. If we're doing things religiously that are not in the Lord or in Christ, then we are going to be very sadly disappointed when we stand before God on the day of judgment. 
Christ is our shepherd. Remember who's leading us? Why would we want to follow men? Why would we want to follow man-made religion? We need to follow Christ. He's the one that loves us so much that He gave Himself for us. Has anybody else died for you? Has anybody else shed their blood that you might be remitted of your sin? No one else. We need to tune out all of these other messages. They're continual. Satan will use every avenue to send you a message to pull you off of course because he wants everyone he can to go to damnation with him. So we have to be listening for Christ. We have to listen to His message and no other. And that message is found here in His Word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Again, how many pathways are there to reach the Father and be blessed with eternal life? Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. The words of Christ, His message. Look here. Do your work in the Lord, and the way you'll know it's in the Lord is look in the Scriptures. They testify of me. They, they are my message for you today. Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. We have to have a love for the truth and we have to be willing to submit to that truth or we will miss the narrow gate. How many times have you heard some religious person saying, there's lots of paths to God. There's many roads. You can take whichever road you want to take. That's not what Christ said. He said there's two ways. He left it very, very simple. There's two ways. There's one way that's straight and narrow. It's hard to find. We have to love the truth. We have to tune our ear into what our Savior's saying. That's one path. Path number two is a broad way. That way leads to destruction, and many are going to be in that path. Why? because they let other messages come into their mind and lead them rather than the shepherd who, who teaches us one consistent message. When we follow that message, then we will find the straight and the narrow way. This morning, I hope that we will take this message in completeness. This is a power-packed Scripture that has so much for us to feed on as Christians. It's a Scripture that offers us so much hope about a resurrection that's coming. But it's also a Scripture that offers us warning that we need to follow this message so that we will be prepared when Christ comes again. 
I want to ask you this morning, are you ready for Christ to come again? Are you ready for that resurrection that we've read about, that we've sang about this morning? You need to get ready. You need to listen to this message. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you have an opportunity this morning to come in repentance, confessing Christ as the Son of God and being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're going to be ready for the resurrection, you must have done this. That's Christ's message. Throughout the Gospels and throughout the remainder of the New Testament, the message says, this is what you have to do to get on this pathway to follow this shepherd. If you're here this morning and you have obeyed the Gospel and you've started your walk with Christ, but you've wandered off between these markers and you're not where you want to be, you don't feel like you're in the center of God's will, if we can help you get back on track by praying for you, we would love to do that for you this morning. If the church can be of assistance to any of you in any way, come forward and be seated as on the front as we stand and sing the song of invitation.